The Start On Demand. On demand. If you eat stuff with poppy seeds or drink a certain kind of tea, the device for roadside tests for THC can turn up false positives for heroin or cocaine. We'll talk to the BC law firm that figured it out. We've also got our monthly visit with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology as he embarks on the month-long celebration of Ramadan and is getting something special ready for the upcoming teddy bears picnic. We divided and conquered downtown Winnipeg over the weekend with a pair of exciting events that took over the area. And a mother-in-law in Europe is causing a stir after she had the audacity to rearrange her daughter-in-law's cutlery drawer. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's in Croatia, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Monday, May 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is in Croatia. He's going to join us after 9.05 here on The Start. And McNabb is once again working from home. Loren, are you there? Home? I am here. I'm using something new today called the Commander G3. Does oh that my sound? God. Yeah, I think it sounds like it's going to fire me off into space or something, but it's a new piece of technology I'm trying out. It sounds great. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I'm right beside you. It's much better that, yeah, so for if you didn't, if you didn't hear any of the show on Friday, it was an adventure because Loren was at home and she had to find a, the best spot in the home for the signal, which was where? Yeah, it was in my kid's room on the floor with my left hand in the air, holding the phone up as high as I could to get a signal. Something about the floor-hand combo really worked for me, but it's not a long-term solution. So, you know, my husband's on call again. He's out right now working. Kids are at home. I obviously can't drop him off at a daycare at 5 in the morning. So here we are with the Commander G3, Brett. Well, it sounds cool, and I want a Commander G3. What does a Commander G3 <laughs> look like? Uh, it's like a, it's just, I, I'll take a picture. I'll send it. I'll post it. <laughs> oh, it's just a little box with a lot of buttons on it that I'm probably not supposed to touch. So uh, I, I'm putting it at a distance from me just in case I get the urge to start clicking on things. Oh, well, that sounds fun if you start pushing them. Maybe it'll have like a great glass elevator sort of effect where <laughs> it'll launch you into space. As you said, dude, maybe it'll launch you into space. I'm going to I'm going to create a button that's called the uh, RBF for the resting Brett face just ah, so I perfect. can pretend like you're right beside me. <laughs> and I'll hit it whenever I know I've disappointed you. And then I'll just be like, ah, oh, that's comforting. There it is. There's the guy I know. See, it'll be perfect. Well, is there a button on there to, to make it warm up? Sure, let's pretend there is, because I'd appreciate that. What a brutal uh, weekend if you were out trying to get things done. Yeah, and I went out golfing yesterday. A buddy of mine, said he, he was out hounding me all week to, to go golfing over the weekend, and I was looking at the forecast for Sunday, and I thought, man, it's going to be so cold. But today is his birthday, so happy birthday, Burkus. And once I realized, oh, my God, it's his birthday. Well, I can't, I can't shun him now. So we no. went out to Kingswood yesterday, and there were like four tea times all day because I think at the most it was seven degrees. So I brought two jackets with me. I wasn't sure which one I would need because when we got there, it was there was some sunshine, so it was kind of warm. So I brought one jacket that's kind of heavy and one that's a bit lighter. Well, it clouded over as soon as we got to the first tee box, and eventually I ended up wearing both jackets. So I had a sweater over a T-shirt and then a jacket and then another jacket on top of that with a toque and some, like, wind pants or, or to so go over So you had, like, pants. four layers on at yeah. least. I had yeah. four layers. I brought mitts so I could wear them in between every <laughs> single shot. It was brutally cold.
old. And uh, I thought, it, this is, it's May 5th yesterday, I'm thinking that. this It shouldn't be this cold, so... Yeah, it's one of those times of years too, though. I think because we just had that long winter and we're annoyed that we expect to like pull out our spring coats, you know, and our flip flops and put like have my kids that keep saying like, you still have to wear socks. Like it's not July, but it's cold out, right? And so you have this anticipation of it being this golf season. And I don't know. I think we are below normal though, Brett. I don't think we're where we're supposed to be for me. Well, the normals for this time of year, uh, low of four and a high of 18. Right. And we haven't seen anything like that. No. I th- well, I, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I think that's one of the reasons why people are getting so frustrated because it keeps teasing us. Like my first golf round of the year was two weeks ago. And I went through all that stuff with going to get a pair of pants at Value Village. Turns out I didn't even need the pants that day. I could have worn shorts mm-hmm. because I think it did get up to like 18, 19, 20 degrees. But then it went away. And it every time it looks like it's going to warm up. Like Saturday wasn't a terrible day. But yesterday was awful, and uh, looking at the forecast, it looks like there might be some hope. So hopefully Environment Canada can give us some good news when we talk to them. Don't jinx my May long weekend, Brett. Well, May long weekend always stinks. I mean, come on. No, last year, I'm positive it was like, I remember being up at Riding Mountain National Park with Clear Lake, and I remember it being 24, like unprecedentedly, is that a word? Sure. Unprecedentedly warm. (laughs) It was so warm, and so now I feel like I've reset all my May long expectations to be like that. It's like the anom- anomaly, but I still want it. No, and you and you know what? You're right. I think last year, uh, because I'm always prepared for the week, the May long weekend to be lousy, because it it seems to be almost always lousy, and then the following weekend it tends to be really good. So I, I kind of think, well, why don't why can't we just have like change May long weekend to be the following weekend? But I know that there are. What does it have to fall before the Victoria's birthday or however it works? I can't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. That's so, a rule? I think so, yeah. Our, our, our resident monarchist uh, executive producer, Kim Lawson, would be able to tell us the rule on that. I can't remember what it is. If you listening right now know why the May long weekend always falls when it does and why they can't move it, because I think there was actually discussion once upon a time of trying to move it, but uh, that's a hard that's a hard no on relocating it. So talk to Environment Canada at 707 on weather. And at 637, we're going to talk about this roadside screening device that could end up here, but watch out if you have poppy seeds in your system. Loren McNabb. It's a really bizarre story because we were talking about the Draeger 5000, which is a great name. Besides Commander G3, the Draeger 5000 is awesome. So many good names today. um, Yes, so many good names. But this Draeger 5000, the RCMP in Manitoba are currently testing it. It's being used in Morden and Rivers. I think Saskatchewan RCMP use it. So even though it's not being employed yet by the Winnipeg police, it's being used by a lot of law enforcement agencies. And so some defense lawyers in BC went and got their own and have been testing it and found if you have like poppy seed muffins or poppy seed loaf, and poppy is um, an opioid, that you can find yourself testing positive for cocaine use, even though you just had a piece of cake. Like, imagine trying that with the police. No, no, no. I was just at grandma's house. Like, we just, we just had some poppy cake. And so now, the now they're, you know, kind of sounding the alarm over that because they think that that's going to cause a lot of problems for people too, which is fair. I don't think there's a ton of people eating like poppies every single day or poppy seeds, but you are in your bagels, right? You can have it in your loaf. Like, I, I probably once a week have something with poppy seeds in it. Really? I don't want to have my name appear in the paper for my <laughs> cocaine use. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I think they, yeah, they, they're, there's some sort of tea that's made from coca leaf, and that that can make it like you're you're high in coke and the the poppy mm-hmm. seeds with the opioids and or opiates. And I don't, I mean, I don't drink tea, so that's not something I need to worry about. And I don't, I typically don't eat anything with poppy seeds, not because I have anything against them. I just, I, I think it's the bagel itself. I'm not a fan of the bagel. Does that make me weird? I don't like bagels. No, I don't think so. I don't. I don't love a bagel. Like I don't crave a bagel. I think that's because maybe I've never had a real good one. Really? You just sort of. Ha- is it just like something that you have? Like it's. I don't know. Have it's for around and, for breakfast. And... Yeah, like it's just there. It's, okay. you know, it's just, you know, I'm not like, oh my god, get that bagel in me. And <laughs> <laughs> not now. Get that not bagel now. in me. <laughs> not now with the poppy seed situation. A roadside screening test used to check drivers for THC, which is the main psychoactive agent in marijuana, is also picking up more innocent items, false positives for things like opiates, only because that person ate a poppy seed loaf or poppy seed cake before getting behind the wheel. Yeah, so it's called the Drager 3000, and we've been talking about it a bit this morning because the Drager, sorry, the Drager 5000, because uh, it's been used by a number of police departments across the country. So we know it's not been used yet by Winnipeg police. They haven't bought it, but we know the Manitoba RCMP are currently testing six of these systems to see if it can help them test for cannabis use behind the wheel. We know uh, the police in Rivers and Morden also use it as well. And then, of course, there are law enforcement agencies west and east of us, if you're traveling, that are also using it. But this BC law firm recently ran some tests on the device and found there was a big problem as far as they were concerned in terms of these false positives that you mentioned, Brett. Paul Doroshenko is with Acumen Law Firm in Vancouver and joins us now. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. How are you doing? We're good. We're, first of all, let's just start with these tests. Uh, it was your firm that was behind them. Why, why do it? Well, uh, we bought the device um, as soon as it was announced that it was going to be approved. So we managed to get it actually before the police got it. And uh, because we wanted to test it, I bought uh, a bunch of breathalyzers over the years. And there's at least two models of breathalyzers that I came up with. You know, I discovered that they had a a flaw in design or a flaw in manufacture that have since been uh, replaced. Uh, So we decided that we would buy this to test it out and see, you know, whether or not it stood up to the requirements that were it would need to meet for Canadian law. And uh, finally, uh, when we got around to it, and when we were able to arrange it, we contacted some experts, uh, scientists, forensic toxicologists, and uh, who work in this particular field and got them together and said, okay, you know, come up with some testing criteria, come up with a plan and let's see uh let's see if this device works the way that it uh, the way that the, it should and the way that it was we were told that it did. And of course, we discovered some, you know, fairly interesting things. Well, what are what are you finding, Loren? Referenced uh, we referenced the poppy seed. So, what what is this device showing? Well, that was quite unexpected for me. Uh, I was talking to Morton because we had, you know, a bunch of people coming to smoke cannabis and and uh, be tested. We were doing screening pre-screening, uh, and then they would smoke cannabis, and then they would be tested on the device, and then they would also be subject to a drug recognition evaluation. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that they had something to eat, so I stopped at Tim Hortons to pick up donuts. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I don't really want a donut myself. And I saw some poppy uh, seed cake there. And then I thought, geez, I wonder if poppy seeds have anything in there. Because my grandmother in Edmonton used to grow poppies in the backyard. And we always joked that they were opium poppies, and somebody would come and steal the heads off them every year. So I bought the poppy seed cake. 
And it was a test I did first on myself. And I, sure enough, positive for opioids. Which is uh, like being I, positive for, let's be potentially be, you know, heroin or other. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. So the, uh, you know, if the police pull you over in these circumstances, it was 17 minutes after I finished my poppy seed case that uh, uh, Kate wrote that I uh, used the, the swab to collect the saliva. Uh, and it was inserted into the uh, into the Drager drug test 5000. And uh, 17 minutes after that, I started uh, collecting it. It was inserted into it, and it came up almost right away as positive for opioids. So, you know, that would lead, if the police were using this thing and, and uh, you know, had, uh, using it in the same manner that it came in the box when we bought it brand new, um, that uh, they would get that that indication which might lead to an arrest uh, you're taken back to the detachment at that point and then they can test you for uh, they can draw your blood or, or take your urine well we did a urine test afterward uh, about an hour afterward or 45 minutes afterward and again came back positive for opioids so if the, if you were to be pulled over and tested and you had had a poppy seed uh, loaf or you'd had some tea with coca leaf and then tested uh, positive for cocaine uh, would how would you fight that well that's the question you know should we be using this device at all uh, when we know that that you can get this you know later on uh, a bunch of people uh, tried some tea and there was tea that's commercially available and tested positive for cocaine I mean you could eat a poppy seed loaf and drink some tea and be tested for opioids and and uh, come up positive for opioids and cocaine. Um, you know, how do you fight it? Cocaine is presumptively, you're presumptively guilty in Canadian law if they find cocaine in your system after a drug recognition evaluator has, has tested you and concluded that, you know, you might be on this. Uh, how do you fight it? I mean, it's a, it's a badly designed law uh, that leads to, you know, a badly designed law and a, and a device that, that uh, you know, doesn't really fit within our legal system because it's, uh, it's, it's accuracy is, is somewhat, is basically presumed, uh, and the police can make a demand, uh, to compel you to provide a sample into this thing. And it's a long time. Like we, we think, we think the issue really comes down to it being a charter violation because it's an unreasonable search and seizure. Now, because at the end of the day, Paul, I, I just want to not push back, but sort of point out that we have had police say to us in the past that this, if they were to use this Drager 5000, and not every law enforcement agency is, and we know in Manitoba they're just testing it, or at least the RCMP are just testing it at this point, but they comment on it being one tool, so they would need, you know, they would they would look for other things. So if that person didn't have any signs of being high, but did test positive for, say, something like cocaine or the poppy uh, opioid, I mean, would they not have a defense there that the, the, the other evidence didn't match the results of that test? Or do you think the test would become the definitive thing? Well, the way the law is designed right now, and as it came into effect December 18th, uh, 2018, when the police pull you over, they immediately make you blow into a roadside breath tester for alcohol. If they think there's something weird about you and they've you know, detained you there for 10 minutes doing that, they can make a demand for a, a saliva test. If the saliva test comes back positive, then they can arrest you at that moment and take you back to the detachment, run you through drug recognition evaluation, uh, and then compel you to provide a sample of, of fluid from your body, uh, blood or urine. And if that comes back positive, you've got a big problem. And I mean, it could all be poppy seed. You know, you're facing going to court, a potential of an impaired driving conviction.
McGarry, McNabb, Macklin's in Croatia, Jeff Braun's here, Kelly Moore is here, and McNabb's working at home via the Commander G3. <laughs> and do you like the Commander G3 so I far? It. It's better working out it. better than Friday, hey? I listen, I'm not getting like that weird, my arm's not falling asleep from holding my cell phone <laughs> in the air trying to find the right signal while I talk on one hand with the mic. I got like a whole setup here. I'm pretty impressed. Well, it sounds great. There's no delay. We had some problems on Friday, but uh, we're good to go today. And that's good because there's a headline here that you found at the dailymail.com. How do you organize your cutlery drawer? Heated debate ignited after mother-in-law rearranges woman's knives, <laughs> forks, and spoons in a controversial order. So, McNabb, what happened here? Okay, so this is a woman uh, who posted on Facebook that my mom-in-law stays every few weekends. She goes on to say she's old-school Italian and has her way of doing things, and I always get a laugh, says this woman on Facebook. But then... I woke up in the morning and found she had changed my cutlery to go forks, knives, spoons, and this woman had knives first. And so it wasn't too long, apparently, before this post that was came through the Daily Mail in the UK received like hundreds of comments from people mm. arguing over what is the best way to organize your cutlery. So that's one of the things we want to talk about today. But I do also know from my own experience when both my mother-in-law and my mom visit Things get rearranged all the time, and I find myself not able to find anything for like days afterwards because I don't know where it's been put away. But first, let's start with the cutlery. Does okay. it matter to you? I don't. I didn't realize no. there was such a thing <laughs> for the cutlery drawer. I can understand on the table, but I wouldn't know what order. I don't know how to set that stuff up, stuff up properly. But Kelly, you were shaking your head the whole time. Here. I was just thinking like. Is this really what gets people going? <laughs> just, if that's the biggest problem in your life, it's yeah, pretty good obviously life. it does. I feel so bad because we go spoons, forks, knives. So we, we must be heathens. Oh, <laughs> you're, way, you're way off the list of appropriate things. You're inappropriate, Kelly Moore. Well, yeah, I've been called a lot worse. My, my cutlery set came in with a little rack, and it just sort of sits on the countertop, so I don't even have to put them into the drawer. So. Oh, it's like a camping set. Do you have like a camping set or something? Joel? No, no, it's fancier than that. Wow. Not much fancier than That's that. That's neat. I couldn't even tell you what order my cutlery, cutlery is in my drawer. I have no idea. You eat with your hands and we know it. Don't try and throw it. I imagine you just have like a shoebox in the drawer. Yeah, like and a shoebox all Basically, together. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly oh. what it is. So you don't get bugged at all. Like, so mine goes knives, forks, spoons, like big spoons and small spoons. And I like it like that. And I've had, to, even my husband doesn't notice which way I have it. And so it gets rearranged all the time. But once you've arranged something, like I don't know if it matters to me how it's arranged, but once I do have it that way, I am. I'm annoyed when it's done another way. Like if, if someone were to come in and change yes. your drawer? Yeah. If can someone you, would come in to send, mess with my drawers, I'd be upset about s- that. Send me your address. I want to come, you know, no, come to your house come, and mess, mess everything up. I'm, I'm going to move the coffee cups and the saucers <laughs> too. I even have shelves in the pantry where it's like a baking shelf and like then, you know, the pasta shelf, like where things go. And they're, it's always forever just cleaning product can be shoved where the pasta is and a bottle of wine can end up where the flour is and I'm like very clearly this is the baking shelf and then he's like you don't bake I'm like it's not the point <laughs> so it matters to me I like to have it in its spot what about cups or, or glasses do those when those go in the cabinet do they go in face up or open or down Ooh. so the, the 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 lid is is not exposed up, up. Uh, you would put it up so it's mm-hmm. open I guess as it were mm-hmm. okay what about you Kelly I yeah no we have ours uh, base up so, yeah yeah okay I use one cup and I just keep it on the counter all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Why is that a shock? I have more cups. I just, uh, but I only need one, so I just keep using the same one and then Do rinse it after each Do you have any drawers in your in your house? Because now the cutlery is on the counter and the cup is on the counter. Like, yeah. I feel like maybe you don't have I've any cupboards. I've got so much empty cupboard space in my kitchen. I'm like, I should rent it out because you know it goes for a premium in most places. But my my kitchen is so sparse that you would cry. Now, what about um, the dishwasher, Kelly? Oh. What about people who rearrange the dishwasher? Is that good or bad? Uh, you know, I will load the dishwasher up at home, yep. and it doesn't matter. I always load it up wrong. So right away, my wife will jump in there. She'll go, "Don't you always do it wrong? <laughs> Let me do it. Get out of there. Stop doing that." So, <laughs> and what's wrong? Like, what's the I What's the key thing that you're screwing up? I have no idea. So I live vicariously here at work, and I load the dishwasher my way at work. <laughs> well, and there are times where when I'm putting stuff in the dishwasher here at work where I will go in and then rearrange it, but not not because there's a, I think there's a right way and a wrong way, just for efficiency. It's sake. Your like, way. like sometimes, well, sometimes there's just stuff that's in there so scattershot, yeah. and then you can't get things in, so it just you got to rearrange it quickly uh, to to make it work. But whenever I put anything in the dishwasher, my dad place. Uh, I actually stopped putting things in the dishwasher because <laughs> I know he's going to go in there and change and it. just change it all around. Yeah. So, or, or if I do put it in, I'll just turn to him and say, where does this go? Because I know I'm going to do it wrong. Uh, I just always, tell me the right way. Every once in a while, if I want to start something, I'll just say, you know, most people would say thank you for loading the dishwasher, you know, but then that just, you know, kind of gets things going sideways. So, now, is this, yeah. McNabb, is this a... Uh, this particular story of this mother-in-law, is she being a meddler or is she just uh, doing things her own way without really thinking about the consequences? No, I don't know. It would depend. I would argue that she might be somebody who's just genuinely thinks her daughter-in-law is doing it wrong and <laughs> so wants to correct it. So it depends. Like, is she, was she just like rearranged? Was the drawer empty? And so then she was just doing it the way she would have done or did she walk in and completely rearrange the drawer? Like when I moved into our house, I remember saying to my mom, just tell me what you think. Like, where do spices go and things like that? It was my first house. I didn't know. And so if she had, if my mom came back and rearranged things, I wouldn't be upset because I feel like, you know, she's lived life a little longer. But if someone came in and just started rearranging my drawers and then just told me it's better this way, then you're meddling. That would make me really mad. Yeah. And I, and I can understand if you do it just because you don't, like my uh, my aunt uh, was staying with my dad a few months back and uh, after she left, he, he was telling me he couldn't find certain yeah. things because mm-hmm. she had cleaned it. She'd cleaned the entire house and I don't think she was trying to rearrange things. She just put them Where back in different spots. Where she thought they should spots. go maybe or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's kind of like... I think that would be like annoying, but also kind of fun because at some point it's like a scavenger hunt. Where yeah. is that spatula? It depends on what it like... is and how badly you need it at the moment. If it's yeah. the plunger, you... that's a bad deal. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you keep the plunger? Is that just like right is that the whole the other toilet. right by <laughs> the toilet? Yeah, like you need it that much. You well, know, where does it, it go? It where, may not be a case of you need it that much. It's when you need it, you need it now. And where else would you need it? I know, but I don't want it just sitting there. It seems like Why? kind of just, I don't know. It just sets the stage. Like we know where this is going. <laughs> so like, I don't want it just there. No, it's ours is in the. I don't know where ours is. To be exactly, honest with you. and when that toilet starts overflowing, you wish it was beside the toilet. No, Kelly, Kelly that's when I just close the seat and go. That's somebody else's. <laughs> toilet.
We had Third and Bird in last week. Chandra and Sharla, the co-founders of Third and Bird, Winnipeg's largest urban market, which took over the basement of Hudson's Bay downtown. And you had an opportunity to check it out this weekend, I understand. Yeah, and it was my first time going to. I've heard you talk about it often, Brett. I think you mentioned it last fall and then again at the Christmas market that they had. And so this uh, past weekend, they had two days to meet and shop with over, I think, 150 vendors or local makers who had all sorts of different crafts or candles, clothing. Uh, there was a beard cream. There's like all sorts of stuff, food. And so I thought it was super cool. The thing I loved most about it is that it's the kind of thing where you go in and you keep, I kept finding myself saying like, oh, I didn't know that this existed in Winnipeg or I didn't know these guys were doing this. And so you had things like a lot of those lake clothes that you, that are super popular where you can find the shirts that have your your favorite beach on them. Um, there was a whole section on Clear Lake, which is, I've been talking about this morning is one of my favorites. So it was a business that has all these Clear Lake candles. And honestly, the candle smelled like how it is when we're up at the cabin. And they had hummus and things like that. My only thing was I was a little bit like, did you find yourself overwhelmed when you went there in the sense of you kind of wanted everything and obviously can't buy everything? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what happened. Right. Uh, like I said, I said, that's the, the $100 I had in my wallet the first time I went there was gone in five minutes. Right. So we went with our, well, my friend and her two kids and I took my oldest son and, um, the kids ended up buying things. And what I had wished when I left is that I should have go, next time I go, I'll go in with a list of, uh, gifts that are upcoming in your life. It's not just stuff you want to get for your home, but you have all these relatives that might live in different parts of the world that love Manitoba still. And I was like, oh, I should have made a list for the uncle and the brother and the sister who have birthdays and things coming up and then hit those things because I found myself like I just wanted it all that I ended up with nothing. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I, uh, the, so I've been twice. The first time I was, it was my first time there. So it was overwhelming in a good way. It was just super neat. And I was kind of, I didn't know which way to go and what to do. The second time I went in, not so much with the game plan, but I just said, I'm just going to go, I'm going to do a lap and look at everything. And then I'm going to make any purchase decisions after that mm-hmm. because I didn't want to buy you know, item A, and then realize I'd rather buy item B. And uh, ultimately, I ended up was was able to that helped me sort of resist that kind of temptation to just buy everything, as you pointed out. So, so did you you resist the temptation to buy everything at the wine festival? Uh, I did actually resist that temptation. Thanks, because the the line to buy wine at the festival was so long. <laughs> so we just said, forget it. We're going to leave. I did. So Christopher Sprague, Somalia from Five Two Nine Wellington, suggested that you you go in with a plan to try the whites first, and then you go back around and try reds and different wines. But it was we we tried that, but it was just easier to kind of run the gauntlet at each station. But he was right. Very quickly, the senses get dulled, and we went in with a plan of attack. We were trying to be organized. Let's just go down this aisle, and then we'll go down the next one. But ultimately, you end up like a pinball, just sort of bouncing around the convention center while you try all of these different wines. And uh, I, I I ended up taking like he did tell us to take pictures, take pictures of the wines that you like. And most of the wines that I liked were only available there, but the two wines I liked the most are actually available in store here in Manitoba. So that's good. So now I can go get those new wines that I didn't know existed at whatever store I want. Yeah, if you're into wine, I think the wine festival can be super cool. I do like the afternoon. You did the afternoon, right, on Saturday? Yeah, it was a yeah. lot more. It was still busy, but just just relaxed enough that we had more room to move around because the, yeah. the evening ones get packed. They get packed and it gets, it can get a little, not crazy, but just too much near the end. So I think that's like a must, not a must do, but if you're into wine, the wine festival is great. And I would say this third and bird, 
uh, craft local business vendor festival, if I can call it that, Brett, is a must-do too. And they come up, I think, a few times a year. So we'll let people know when the next one is. What I wish I had done Saturday night is Valor FC. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know anybody who went? Yeah, I know lots of people They went and they had a blast. They said it was so much fun and it's a, it was a great family event and the crowd was very much into it. We didn't get the results we wanted. We lost our first ever home game, but I think it was like, it, to me now, that's on a must-do list for the summer. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out as well because I do, I don't like watching soccer on television, but I do enjoy watching it in person uh, when you can really see the beautiful game up close and personal. And just before we bring in our guest, Jeff Fortier, just you wanted to quickly revisit something from last week. Loren, remember when we were talking about jobs we used to work and Fortier mm-hmm. had, what was it, Jeff? I said uh, Toys R Us, and uh, I didn't really like working there, and uh, actually got a uh, letter from Toys R Us on Friday <laughs> sent here. It gave me a gift card and said they switched ownership and uh, they're trying to make things better, and uh, just props on them. Yeah, oh, like like they want you back, Forte. I think they're trying to steal me away from you guys. <laughs> you guys That's... can't have them. Toys R Us, hands off our Forte. <laughs> but good for them yeah, for acknowledging for them. that and sending you a gift card. That's great. Absolutely. You can go buy yourself a boggle or something. I know a toy, a toy of some sort. <laughs> well, hey, it's it's time now to introduce our guest. That's the theme for sex in the city, but we've sort of repurposed it for our own devices for psychology in the city with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology, Manitoba, and winlove.ca. Did I get that website right, winlove.ca? You got it. How's it going, Raymond? I'm doing all right. Now, Loren, I understand that uh, Ramadan began, was it yesterday? Is it the early this morning? I was going to say Ramadan Mubarak. Or am I Thank saying that right? You are. Thank you very much. Yeah. Happy well, Ramadan. Oh, is that the, is that that the, the translation? Yeah. It's yeah. Mubarak just means celebration. Yeah. So when you say Ramadan Mubarak, it's like Happy Ramadan or congratulations on this day. And I'm just going to write Ramadan Mubarak. Yep. Okay. Okay. Let's see. That's that's one of the things I wanted to learn. And Loren, you just got to it before I could even <laughs> ask. So well done. Yeah. So uh, Raymond. There are some things that you have to do in Ramadan that do not sound pleasant. Yeah, it's more about what you don't do. <laughs> um, Ramadan is actually just a month. There's two purposes for it. Um, so those who observe Ramadan do it for these two reasons. Number one is to gain a sense of mastery over your primary needs. So hunger, sex, anger, like your emotional range pretty much um, from sunrise to sunset. Um, I guess the key part that most people tend to be focusing on will be the food aspect. So no food or drink during that time. And uh, and the, it's based on like there's – I'm always going to bring psychology into this. There's, there was a study done about this marshmallows and these kids where they looked at children who, you know, in kindergarten, they were given a choice of having one marshmallow right away or two marshmallows later. And the children who chose two marshmallows later did better in life over the course of time. The idea about delaying gratification is where a lot of this stuff comes from. And so it's a point where we build resistance and self-control. I joke about it calling our ninja training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the second reason is to develop a sense of empathy um, for those people who go without. Uh, charity is a very big part of this month for us. Uh, in fact, the, the, the day that we celebrate Eid al-Fitr is the Eid is a celebration, Fitr is charity, so the idea of the celebration of charity, so that we offer charity often during this month. Um, to be generous during this month is critical. For Muslims. 
there are fasting, you know, as part of Christianity and, and even in my Catholic faith, faith yep. will do it on different days. And, yep. and I think as adults, you can, you can get into the idea of it because it's about finding something else in yourself or thinking of others, as you mentioned. But I saw you tweet last night that your son was kind of <laughs> feeling like it was Christmas Eve. Is that, is that, uh, yeah. why? Like, what was he so, what, why is it exciting I mean, for children? He, I mean, he was very excited. It, it is a very special time. Children are obviously not fasting. Uh, you have to be of a certain age to be able to do this. But, you know, it's this very special time of the year uh, for those who observe it. Uh, it's a time for generosity. Of course, there's going to be gifts as well, too. You know, family comes together. It's quite similar to that. But he, I think, was merging together two holidays. So he just <laughs> said, I'm so excited for Ramadan. And he started to sing Jingle Bells. No <laughs> and you're like, there's going to be no gifts tomorrow morning, buddy. No <laughs> gifts. <laughs> well, he's got a little. He's got a little advent calendar, so he's getting small things over the course of the month. Cute. Yeah. So do, has then uh, doing this throughout your life helped you? You said it's to help you uh, learn empathy, for example. And how how much has that contributed to, especially with what you do as a psychologist? Yeah. Um, the empathy piece is really interesting. You know, as much as like empathy to me is something that we have to continuously work on. Yeah, I think we can make efforts and we understand, but we forget, you know, like you think about things that show up on the news, when they happen, they trigger a great deal of emotion, but over time we forget. Um, Muslims have these periods of renewal, and so this concept of mindfulness is a really big element. So five times a day we engage in a meditative prayer, the idea that we become mindful about who we are and the purpose of what we're doing. Once a week we have a Friday prayer where we're mindful about, you know, a sense of community. Um, Once a year we have this period of, um, Ramadan, where we become mindful about our role um, in who in our life and, and in society and what we have to give back. So to me, it's like this, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I do this, like I engage in uh, a helping profession, and yet every year it's a reminder of where I need to be because people forget. I, I forget. I think people forget generally. You know, we talk a lot about uh, we we looked at IQ and intelligence a lot, and then now there's this thing called EQ and our emotional intelligence to handle things within business or job or family. And I wonder where we are as a society with our empathy levels and how good or bad we might be doing. When I look at, say, social media feeds and see the comments from people who have a, just a real what feels like an inability to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if we're getting better or worse in some respects at trying to understand where someone else might be coming from. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I, I think so. What we recommend to psychologists is to have kind of more regular patterns of checkups with ourselves and to hold each other accountable. Um, some people get offended by that, but generally, this process of being mindful of being held accountable on a regular basis, regardless of what it is we're being mindful of, is critical to kind of self development. Teddy Bear's picnic is coming up. It's on May twenty sixth, right? Yeah, that's right. What do you guys do there? So we had this idea about a public mental health initiative where we work on improving access to psychological knowledge. So not just the people who can afford services, but everybody get access to the information that they need to feel better. And so we run this event called the Worry Bear Tent at the annual Teddy Bears Picnic. Um, And what we do is we work with children and their teddy bears on helping them shrink their worry clouds. And the idea that every single one of us has a worry cloud, some of them are smaller, some of them are bigger, but we always want them to stay small, cute, and manageable. And when they get to be really big and we engage in certain behaviors, then they get big and unmanageable and they make us unhappy. And that's what we'll be doing there. So we'll be helping children and their bears shrink their worry clouds. That's a fantastic initiative. Haven't taken my kids to the picnic in the past. You can do things like they get their teeth checked and they'll look at their arms. And so there's this big 
push about our physical health, but we've all been talking for years now about making the mental health just as important. So what do you hear from kids? If this is a first-time conversation they might be having about a worry cloud, yeah. do they seem to grasp onto the concept right away? It's a really good narrative. Like, we really like it. Um, what it so there's a really important element here is that sometimes – when children become anxious, they engage in behaviors that are sometimes problematic, and so we tend to blame children for them. Um, when we externalize the problem uh, and we're able to work on like a third-party issue like the worry cloud, then everybody gets to get on board and we're not blaming the child for that problem. So they respond really well. We've, we've had huge lineups ever since we've started it. We've had an excellent response. Um, We've even had little kids bringing their teenage siblings, like, uh, you know, pulling them over to the tent as well, too. Um, So it's been a really good thing. Along with that has come, we've produced a a free resource, actually. And anybody, whether you're attending the Teddy Bear's Picnic or not, it's a free resource. We hand out little cards. It's called the Worry Shrinker uh, set of tips. And it's for all parents or anybody working with children on how to work on reducing or shrinking those worry clouds. So if you just Google Worry Shrinker, it's the first resource that comes up. And it's a free resource we've developed for anybody who needs it. Yeah, you mentioned the lineups were huge. I uh, actually was hoping to, to sneak in and, and say hello to you last year, but I couldn't get in. It was like, yeah. uh, it was like a busy nightclub or something. <laughs> um, but uh, so the, the kids are, are taking to it. But what about adults who come in do you ever find that they they say to you like you know this is going to help me yeah it it would and all the tips and tools that we utilize are the same things that adults can use you know and i like that metaphor of a worry cloud because it is something we can all relate to um so the, the tips and tools will apply across the board the narrative is really helpful particularly for young kids um, we are also going to be having a selfie booth uh, this year. The idea here, part of us doing this so publicly is also about fighting the stigma about talking about mental health, that we just talk about it like anything else. And so this year we're going to be having a little worry cloud selfie booth where people can come and take selfies with worry clouds floating above their head um, and kind of hashtag and tweet, you know, the idea to have this conversation more openly um, about talking about our mental health. When it comes to that, uh, first of all, I think, Brett, you were planning to be there for that day. I know Greg's going to try to get down there for the selfie booth. I am as well. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how people um, react and and share their thoughts and feelings. But I'm curious, too, like, you know, Brett mentioned adults. There's a conversation Mm -hmm. that parents are always trying to have with their kids, too. And so this might be giving them language that they weren't sure how to use Mm -hmm. and help introduce that conversation better. Is it a... I'm wondering if it's a fear factor that stops some of us from having that talk because we just don't know. We want to introduce it with our kids, but we're not sure of how to start the conversation because there's some people that might say, well, if I bring up with my kid, like, what are you worried about today or what's hanging over your head? Mm. It might cause them to start reflecting on things that they maybe weren't. What would you say to that? I'd say the problem there is there regardless. And a lot of parents will say, you know, I'm really glad you're doing this because when I was a kid, I didn't have these resources and I didn't have the language. And mm-hmm. so it is now a language and it's, just, like, it's a very specific set of skills that people can start to engage in. A lot of times, like for adults or for children, we tend to make mental health this rather kind of airy-fairy, kind of elusive kind of uh, thing that we don't know how to address. And there's a very practical language that we can utilize both for adults and for children and very practical things that we can start to do that help to overcome that. And so uh, as an example, uh, the idea here is that generally when we have anxiety, we, it causes us to have distress over or avoid a lot of the difficulties um, that we were anxious about. But the more we avoid, the more our anxiety grows in the or the idea of the worry cloud grows. The more we gradually start to face our fears along with a, a bunch of other tools that are all on that worry cloud uh, tip sheet, 
the more we're able to manage that and carry about our lives. And what that does, the more we repeat those set of behaviors, the more we become more confident um, and the smaller our worry clouds or our anxiety becomes. Well, and I love the image of the worry cloud. And you you said that it's something we can all relate to. And, and really you can because that's kind of what it feels like if you are suffering from some kind of anxiety or what have you. It can feel like this black cloud that is just looming directly over your head and your shoulders. And uh, for me, if I get a little too anxious or I'm fretting about stuff, uh, it, it's to the point where I can't see through the cloud. I just I can't focus on whatever I need to do, and it just sort of stops me in my tracks. Yeah, and that's a really good point that you mentioned. So the reason we focus on anxiety is because the anxiety is the most common mental health problem or mental illness across humanity. Um, depression is the second most, but both. But what people don't tend to realize is that anxiety and depression t- often tend to be linked. Uh, there are cases, most certainly, where depression can occur on its own, but those who suffer with anxiety on a regular basis, that's definitely going to impact your mood. And that's why we put a lot of our effort and our bang for our buck right there on the anxiety and our worry clouds. In that the anxiety can lead to depression or that my depression could create anxiety or is it a bit of both? Um, usually the way it goes is that anxiety creates depression. Now, like I said, depression can exist on its own. Uh, people can be depressed without being anxious. But when people are anxious for a very long period of time, there's an increased likelihood that they will start to become depressed as well too. And if we don't address the problem with anxiety soon enough, the depression tends to take over and becomes the primary problem. So if you're going to the teddy bear's picnic, make sure you go to the worry bear tent to see Raymond and the friends from Clinic Psychology Manitoba. Can I make one more note? Yeah. So there's a really critical component. There are times we've had people come by and not always feel comfortable. They didn't know whether they could be there. People from different faith or cultural communities. I want to make it very clear that every single person is welcome at this tent. We had some indigenous people come by and they almost felt like they couldn't belong. They didn't have the right to. I just want to make it very clear. Every single person, regardless of your background, is welcome at this tent. We're very, very happy to service you, uh, myself and our team. And that is going to be at the Teddy Bears Picnic on the 26th. ClinicPsychology.com is one website. Another one is winlove.ca. And then a third one, Mental Health Week. It's on right now with the Canadian Mental Health Association, May 6th to the 12th. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, sir. Sounds like Greg Mackling's been working on his singing skills while he's in Croatia. Uh, no, not me, Brett. <laughs> if your spine is tingling and you've got goosebumps, just imagine standing inside a 1,700-year-old palace and hearing that a cappella, which is what I did, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. So Greg's so in Croatia. Can- Hello there, Greg. And sorry, Loren, I stepped on you there. Go ahead. No worries. I'm just, I've been so, um, I'm trying not to be jealous, Greg, because I, I, this is a well-deserved trip for you, but your pictures have been just incredible. And you wrote something that I thought that was pretty, such a good explanation yesterday that it is possible to fall in love at first sight. So that's clearly how you're feeling. 
Yeah, the old town of Dubrovnik is absolutely spectacular. It transports you to a time gone by and, and hundreds of years. It took them 500 years to build the walls around the old town. So to imagine that this little sliver of time that we spend on the planet, and you're, you're dwarfed not only physically by these walls, but the time that's involved and the history that's here is, is quite overwhelming. It's very humbling, Loren. So, Greg, you are, I mean, you're, you're off in Croatia and you're having a good time, but you're not just there to discover Croatia, Slovenia, and the Adriatic coast. You're, you're kind of, you're leading a tour. You're, you're a working man while you're there. I'm working a little bit, but uh, the group that we've got with us is absolutely amazing. I've got half of Toulon, Manitoba here with me. <laughs> there are no less than six people with connections to Toulon. We've got 14 of the 39 people on this tour are from Manitoba, our CJOB listeners, and they're absolutely wonderful. They're all big fans of the show, and they've been wonderful to me more than I've been wonderful to them. It's just been great to spend some time with these folks and get to know them a little bit better and uh, we're in split we made the trip up the adriatic coast today we've had three maybe even four seasons today we saw snow up on the mountains so maybe we, we didn't experience but we we certainly saw four different seasons today it was about 20 degrees when we left dubrovnik we're on the uh, adriatic coast up in split right now and it's about 11 degrees most of the locals have their winter jackets on a gentleman in a toque just walked past me so you guys are a little bit chillier than normal they are here as well but it's just been absolutely phenomenal and this uh palace that i'm in actually brett it's hard not to be thinking about you because of course the walled city of dubrovnik and the uh, diocletian roman palace where i am right now home to filming for game of thrones and well let me tell you they're capitalizing on that big time you can't go too far without seeing a t-shirt or some other form of souvenir promoting the fact that you are in the heart of Game of Thrones country. Yeah, King's Landing, uh, that's basically where that is. And I could actually see the pictures that you posted on your Instagram at GMACWPG. I could see where they, I mean, King's Landing is, is something that it's a CG model creation, but I can see sort of the, the base of it, where the, the roots right. of that are. So that's cool. Greg, while we've got you here, we got to bounce a couple of things off of you. Uh, first of all, question of the day at CJOB.com which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. When it comes to summertime bugs, which one bugs you the most? And you have four choices, Greg. One is mosquitoes, ticks, wasps, or canker worms. It's hard to narrow it down to four, but for those, I think, are four of the big ones. Which one is it for you? Well, actually, I got bugged by my first wasp just yesterday. I'm sorry, guys, sitting by the pool at the hotel. Boo. Uh, so uh, yesterday it was wasps, but uh, for me, it's there's no question it's mosquitoes. I can't stand mosquitoes. I would, I would pay any amount on my taxes to make sure that Winnipeg had zero mosquitoes. So <laughs> there you go. Put me down for four votes for mosquitoes. <laughs> We'll just skew the results, Brett, so that we can make sure Mosquitoes yes. wins for Brett or yeah. for Greg. So, Greg, I'll did you know it? You just hop on. I think you can vote as many times as you want. You get that going. Um, actually, I don't even know if that's true. Did I just say something that's not true there? Oh, you might be able to I'm circumvent the system somehow. <laughs> 
Greg, have you uh, did you know anything about did you know anything about Croatia before you went? Like, was this sort of kind of one of those things where you've you, you know it's beautiful, you've heard spectacular things, but did you do any research before you left, or are you sort of just kind of discovering as you go all the hidden secrets of it? Well, you know, uh, I, I approach things two ways. I like to do my homework, so I I did enough to be comfortable with where I was going on the safety end and a little bit of the history. And certainly, of course, we know about the uh, the war that took place in here. They don't they don't like to use that word, quite frankly. They 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 talk it, about it more in terms of a conflict and the separation of Yugoslavia, but. Um, I did some homework that I am discovering along with, you know, I like to do interviews and learn along with listeners. I'm learning along with the group today, and it's it's just been incredible several days. We spent 24 hours getting here, and we were only here for 48 hours, and I said, you know, if we were going home tomorrow, I'd be fine with it. That's how good it's been. That's how spectacular it is. Now, Greg, before we let you go, we got to ask you one more thing. Uh, for those who sure. were listening earlier this morning, we said we should ask Greg this. When you get your steeped tea, <laughs> is there any chance that it uh, it contains the coca leaf? What, 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 what do you mean? Well, there's a... On we, purpose? We, well, yeah, because we were learning that the Dreger 5000, this tool that they use for roadside testing for THC, if you have had oh. tea with the coca leaf, then you could test positive for cocaine. Fantastic. I'll be asking Timmy's to hold the coca leaf pens <laughs> for it. <laughs> Could you just keep the uh, cocaine on the side, please? Yeah, just put that on the side, and maybe if I could collect that after a month's worth of teas, maybe that would be a lot more advantageous. I don't know. Greg but Mackling. I don't go down that word. Mackling is in Croatia. Make sure you follow him on social media, GMACWPG, Twitter and Instagram for all the pictures and to continue along on this wonderful adventure he's taking courtesy of Journeys by Escapes and Call at Vacations, Croatia and the Adriatic Coast. And don't forget Slovenia is in there too. Greg, thank you for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your adventure today. I do miss you guys, and uh, thanks for holding down the fort. I know you're doing much better without me, and we'll uh, talk to you on Wednesday. Question of the day at cjob.com is inspired by the visit to the guest we're about to have here. Question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. When it comes to summertime bugs, which one bugs you the most? So far, 54% say mosquitoes, 21% say wasps, 19% say ticks, and five canker worms. And McNabb, it's ticks for you, is it not? It sticks for me just because of the worry, like, you know, that they're going to not only just embed into my body, but the disease that they can carry. So, yeah, that they freak me out. Like, I don't like, don't get me wrong, I hate mosquitoes, but it's the ticks because of what else can come from them that worry me. Yeah, for me, it's wasps, and I think it's only because I've never been stung by a wasp. I don't know how that I've managed to avoid that, but... Uh, no kidding, you're a lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I, and I just, I'm, I, I'm a wimp. I just don't want to be, uh, I, don't, I don't know what it feels like. So Taz Stewart is here from Poolin's Pest Control. Taz, how are you, man? Very well. How about you, sir? I'm okay, but Loren, before we do anything else, we, I was whining earlier about how I went out golfing yesterday and it was mm-hmm. cold. Taz says he's already been in a dragon boat so far this year. You betcha. Been in the water already. (laughs) That must have been brutal. It's a little chilly for the hands, yes. (laughs) (laughs) How long ago was that? uh, Thursday. We practice every Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. 
So. Well, good for you. I was actually thinking the other day that the one benefit to this cold might be that the bugs don't come out. But then I saw a mosquito just yesterday, so it's happening. Yeah, what you probably saw is an overwintering mosquito. That mm. uh, Culicida internata is its fancy name. It's a real big, it's called a buffalo mosquito. Say that again. Culicida internata. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise known okay. as a buffalo mosquito. Uh, they're usually the first ones to show up in the spring and the last ones in the winter. They're, they're slow, they're bumblebee, and they're coming out, they're looking for their first blood meal, and they'll start laying their eggs. Are they bigger? The, the the name buffalo mosquito implies yeah. to me at least that it's bigger. It's one of the larger mosquitoes in Manitoba, yes. yes. So it's this exciting. time of year the mosquitoes are out first or like kind of is there like an order like a graph you could build for us Taz <laughs> in terms of like what weeks we should watch for what? Well, it's all based on temperature and how uh, how cold it's been. You've seen a lot of bugs are not showing their faces yet, but we're already seeing carpenter ants making the move. Uh, we've seen the adult mosquitoes come out there, you've seen larvae in the water, so things are happening but at a lot slower pace than normal. So as far as the ticks are concerned, Taz, uh, I guess is there is there a time of year where they are most troublesome? Yeah, uh, for black-legged ticks, they are active from snow melt to snowfall. So there, you have to be watching all the year because they're their nymph stage. They're very very tiny, the size of a poppy seed, oh my and God. most people don't even know they're on them. They've been fed on. Um, with Lyme disease specifically, with the black-legged ticks, you need to have that tick attached to you for at least 24 hours for the, the, the disease to get transferred into you. And uh, if you react to the bite, you might see a bullseye rash around there. You definitely want to go to your doctor because the earlier in the system, uh, pardon me, the cycle of the disease, you can actually prevent it. I'm uh, not prevent it, pardon me. Heal, heal yourself with antibiotics. It used to be, Taz, that when I was growing up anyway, that, you know, you, if you were in long grass or in certain parts on the farm, you know, we knew that those that's going to be where we're going to get our ticks. But in short grass or in parks and fields and things like that, we didn't worry about it as much. Or soccer fields, I mean, not like you know, farm fields. And now it feels like you can go for a walk, say, at a Cinnaboy Park or other, and come out with a tick. Is this something changed in terms of where they're traveling? Uh, ticks, uh, black-legged ticks especially, have been spreading across southern Manitoba since the uh, 2000. Uh, they are literally almost everywhere in southern Manitoba. And before, approximately before 2000, you had only ticks in the southeast corner of Manitoba. And you can see birds are carrying them, people are carrying them, dogs, they're everywhere. Uh, ticks love edges, so you want to avoid those edges. They can be in short grass and, and longer grass or tree edges. Uh, if you're in an area, they're usually about three meters from that edge, so you want to avoid it. Using personal protection measures like DEET, uh, doing the geek look, Socks up above your pants, light <laughs> colors, and of course, checking the nether regions, making sure after you've been outdoors, you have to look everywhere. Now, another thing that uh, I, I probably could have included in this poll is the forest tent caterpillar. And uh, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but is is this going to be, I think I re- remembered that this was supposed to be a bad year. Uh, no, it's sort of, there's previous three years have been bad okay. and they are having a 12 to 15 year cycle and we should be on the downside. Uh, oh, last year good. we did we did see a decrease and I still expect there are these hot spots here and there but not as numerous as in previous years. How so does we that can work? put it on our calendar like 15 years, 10 years from now then? Is that how it would work? Yeah, like they, p- peak, they have a peak cycle? Yep, you, you got it. Canker worms. I don't like those. There's there's another one too. Is there are there two different kinds of worms? Because I they're, there's they're, a fall, a spring and a fall canker worm. So that's why you band in the fall, and you should have your bands on now. But by the uh, long weekend in May here, you can take that band off because the band will actually do more damage to the tree because moisture gets in behind it and the whole bit. So you need to take them off. It's not going to prevent other bugs, but it's good because the female canker worm doesn't have any wings. She has to crawl up the tree and then gets stuck. So she lays about 250 eggs per 
individual and you don't want to stress your elm trees, your ash trees, your maple trees, et cetera, because elms, of course, touch elm disease, the more stressful tree, I'm sorry, more stressed a tree is, the more attractive it is to an elm bark beetle and they carry the, uh, the Dutch elm disease fungus. So I just want to clarify, the tent caterpillar is the one that crawls like it's on my branches and the trunk of the tree. But yeah, they usually canker worm dangles. Is it the dangly one? Yeah, you got it. The one on the threads. You're walking down the streets in uh, you know River Heights area. They're the ones getting in your face. As a canker I might have worm. to change my res- my poll results, Brett. I forgot about that one. I hate the canker worms, and and uh, there is because I'm thinking there there's so there, uh, there's the little green ones, the little tiny ones. But isn't there another worm that kind of it almost looks like a twig? Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to remember it and forgive me, I should have thought of this, but I'm just thinking of it now. And I remember one of our listeners telling us, Oh, elm span worm is what you're thinking of. Elm span worm. Yes. That's the ones that'll eat the leaves and just leaves the veins of the leaves behind. And that was in, uh, along the Cinnaboyan river, mostly along those elm trees there. Okay. Yeah. So what's different about those versus the canker worm? Because they're both gross and they both come down from the yeah. tree. The, the elm span worm makes a lot more poop <laughs> as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got to have some fun with it, right? Because <laughs> canker worms poop on your car, et cetera, too. And when it rains, it gets very slippery. Um, the elm span worm, you can't use a biological product on it. You need a contact insecticide in order to kill them. Um, BTK, of course, homeowners can use to kill the canker worms. Banding, of course, which you've done last year and hopefully this year as well, stop the females. Um, hey, we can keep on going. We, of course, you call us and we can come treat them for you too. Taz, a lot of people talk about you know the impact of climate change on different species and um, weather patterns and all the rest. Is it changing like the cycles of bugs too, or certain bugs? Like we talked about the ticks and how they seem to be able to overwinter longer because maybe our winters aren't as traditionally cold as they used to be like is there anything of that happening in terms of what we might see with new emergence of bugs or even new bugs altogether yeah and that is uh, i can definitely relate that to uh, mosquitoes spread uh, i work up in the northwest territories and over the last uh, 14 years that we've discovered nine new species that weren't in northwest territories before and that's the same thing here in uh, manitoba we found a new species back in 2007 where you know we're on that edge where uh, species gets brought in by, you know, somebody brings a container in, it's got larvae, and you might be able to survive here, might not. You're on that edge now, and climate change may be a part of why we're seeing different species surviving where they shouldn't be normally. And you talked about uh, the beetles, for example. What was the the one that was, was it the ash borer? That uh, the emerald ash borer, yeah. Like this winter, you may see a decrease because it was so cold for a long period of time through January and February. Uh, once they start emerging, they probably are right as we speak. Um, we'll see if there's actually a decrease. It might only last for a couple of years, uh, an overall decrease, but they will come back again. So our ash, ash tree forest is also at very high risk. So should we be, like, we talk about how we protect ourselves all the time. I guess it's kind of also when you look at your property, you have to take a look at what it's out there and where it could be vulnerable. And, like, when you talk about the ash borer beetle, we've heard a lot that the treatments are super expensive and not, you know, not necessarily going to work all the time. So should I be kind of doing an inventory of my yard and seeing, okay, these are the trees I could save from these Yep, uh, 100%. So uh, you, yeah. you can bring in a qualified arborist in there. Uh, I believe the injections range anywhere from 200 to $300, and you get in two years of a 99% protection. Uh, just like for Dutch elm disease, you can get the base of your elm tree sprayed, the bottom 50 centimeters with a clopyrifos product. That will also give you two years of protection from the beetles because they overwinter in the base, and it kills them going in and coming out. Um and knowing all your trees, there's other ornamental trees have other diseases like black knot. You need to be uh, spraying urethromycin right now to prevent black knot from spreading around in those ornamental trees. Where does one get that? 
Uh, again, Poolins gives yeah. a call. We'll, he'll set you up. Two three three two five zero zero Poolins Before we let you go, Taz, on the subject of mosquitoes, as Loren mentioned, she hates mosquitoes. We all don't like mosquitoes. Is there a way to? proof your yard or mosquito proof your yard yep there are there are light traps you can buy you can actually do yard treatments with permethrins uh, again services we all, all offer um but doing yourself don't being out, out at uh, dusk and dawn when mosquitoes are most active uh that's one thing stay inside personal protection use the deep based products um Mosquitoes are all weather-based right now. You're not going to see a bunch of activity for some time but when we get into the june and july august that's when you got to be more careful how are we looking as we head into the summer, do you think? I look at two two week windows for mosquitoes yeah. and uh, we're looking great. Okay. <laughs> so far so good. Yeah. Taz Stewart is from Poolins Pest Control, the website poolins.ca and again call 233-2500. Lorendi, wanna did you wanna sing the uh the Poolins thing or No, I'm feeling sad from all this bug talk. I gotta be honest <laughs> with you. I'm like looking forward to the weather and then I'm oh, you know, the plus of the cold means a few less bugs. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what to think. I'll give you a hug later. Okay. Dad <laughs> Stewart, thank you very much, sir. Uh, and before we let you go, I guess any final uh, thoughts in terms of getting ready for the bugs? Well, let me ask you the question. Mosquitoes, wasps, ticks, or canker worms, which one is it for you that bugs you the most? Well, I hate it. I hate wasps just like you, and but they're only bad in the fall. That's the problem. And Last year they were bad in the spring, though. A, a little bit, yeah. Um, but you haven't been stung, so you're again, you don't know that fiery pain of a sting of a wasp, but pain in the butt. Yeah, I'm I'm most concerned about the potential for allergies because I have so many allergies. Oh, can you get tested for that to find out if you're allergic to a wasp sting? Do you know? I don't know honestly, but I'd probably get yourself an EpiPen to be safe. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to learn the hard way. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.